What sustains you in your darkest moments? I've been thinking a lot lately just about the idea of strength. And for much of my life, I believe strength to simply be the absence of weakness. And so as a result, I uh, spent much time just um, um, really thinking that uh, to demonstrate strength meant for me to work independently of other people. And sometimes trauma in our lives will allow us to take on this mindset or this perspective of, I don't need nobody else, right? I can just do it all by myself. But the reality is, is that our personal traumas don't just impact uh, our horizontal relationships with one another, but they impact how we view God and how we interact with him as well. You see, when we've not dealt with our trauma, we can sometimes treat God um, as if he owes us something. We can, uh, uh, if you just look at how you pray and what you pray about, think about how often it, or how easy it is sometimes to, especially under this idea of strength, how, it, how easy it is for us to um, um, pray to God and ask him to do things great out in the world. But then if we think about the things that we need him to do within us, we find ourselves a little bit timid. We find ourselves a little reluctant because sometimes it's easier to have more confidence of God doing something through us than it is for God doing something in us. Unknowingly, we can live with an overestimation of our own abilities and an underestimation of my deep need for God. Am I the only one who's been there? Do I have a few witnesses here today? Uh, life has a way of bringing us to our knees. God knows how to get our attention, right? He knows how to bring things in and out of our lives that cause us to uh, uh, reprogram the way that we think about our own strength because we realize and recognize that we really don't have as much control as we think we do. The issue that I think uh, we need to deal with here today is that it uh, is, is not whether or not we will go into difficult seasons. Every single one of us can probably look at our lives and we can point out or uh, we can identify a season in our lives where we felt paralyzed, we felt out of control, we didn't understand how that season was going to finally unfold itself. But the reality is it's not that about whether or not we'll go into the difficult seasons or for the uh, sake of today's text, spiritual wildernesses, but rather how long we will remain there based on how we respond to it. Church, I want to remind us today uh, that God won't share you with your idols. God is a jealous God. He's not jealous of us. He's jealous for us. So he uses these wilderness experiences in our lives for a purpose, a purpose to strip away from us our self-reliance and independent living apart from him. And he's doing that simply so that we, like David in this text today, can testify that God is truly all that we need. The psalm, this psalm in particular, is written by King David. If you're unfamiliar with the life of King David, David was not always king. In fact, he was a shepherd boy, the runt of the litter. He was the least likely to be chosen to be king. And yet in God's providence, God raised David up to 
go from a shepherd boy to a shepherd over God's people and over a nation. David was one of the only ones who could truly say, I've started from the bottom and now I'm here. David's up, up in life. But somewhere in David's story, he finds himself now in a wilderness. And this isn't the first time that David's been in a wilderness. David was in a wilderness before that as God had chosen him to be king, the, he went through a series of or a season of life where he was running from the current king because he realized the threat of losing all that he had worked for. This time, though, David's in the wilderness, not because of his, uh, him having to run away from uh, the presiding king, but he's in the wilderness this time because of his own sin. David was a great father. However, uh, the scriptures talk about how there was an instance where David had a daughter, and his very own daughter was raped by his own son. David, however, in a moment of weakness, responds only with anger and not with justice. And in that moment, David's son Absalom's looking for him to enact justice on, this, on one of his own children, brutally taking advantage of his own sister. David can only respond with anger. You may ask, why is that? Well, David has own, his own track record. Uh, David had done something very similar to another man's wife named Bathsheba. David, it's sometimes in life it's hard for a person to uh, be just in crimes that they're guilty of themselves having to, been committed. Uh, it's hard to smack somebody else's hand out the cookie jar when you've had your hand in the cookie jar as well. And so the scriptures talk about how two years went by where Absalom, his son, went from a renegade to now someone leading a mutiny. And so David finds himself on the run. And I want to draw us into that reality of just imagine the child that you raised, the child that you showered loved on, the child that you had seen grow up in stature, now wants you dead. David is grieving a multitude of things, but his heart is broken as he has to come to face to face with his own failure. What I like about this text, though, is that uh, oftentimes when we're in the Psalms, there's a myriad of different expressions and a myriad or collections of different, uh, the realization of how humans have interacted with God in the spectrum of human emotion. But we approach here and David is not asking God to relieve him of his situation. David is praising God while he's in the situation that he finds himself in. I want to give a definition real quick just so we can understand wildernesses and what a spiritual wilderness is. A spiritual wilderness is a place of vulnerability and an opportunity for growth. It is a season where your senses of God's presence are unreliable, where spiritual crutches are undependable, and your only source for navigating its terrain will be from the Word of God. Let me make it a little bit plainer. A spiritual wilderness is a place when our feelings fail, where our emotions evaporate, where doubts surface and our senses are no longer reliable. Uh, it's in these moments, though, that we can 
enter into the wilderness and automatically put God on trial. God, why would you allow me to be here? God, why would you, uh, uh, why would you give me something that doesn't feel like I deserve? God, why? This, this feels like punishment and the crime or the consequences don't fit the crime. If we're honest, many of us have asked those very same questions when we find ourselves in difficult spaces. I believe, though, brothers and sisters, that what we're going to see here today is that God uses wildernesses to work weakness in us. God is going to use these wilderness experiences in our walk with him to work weakness in us in a certain way to where we rethink or or we, we, we think differently about what it means to truly be blessed. My only point here for us today is that God brings life to places that appear to be lifeless. God brings life to places that appear to be lifeless. Let's let's get in the scriptures. Uh, Verse 1, God, you are my God, I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you, my body faints for you in a land that is dry and desolate. My first point is this, that God gives grace to sustain us in our darkest moments. God gives grace to sustain us in, his, in our darkest moments. I want to focus our attention on the uh, the de- uh, focus our touch um, focus our attention on the sustaining grace of God. Sustaining grace is a grace uh, that not only saves us but sanctifies us in every trial. It preserves us in the present, and it protects us from the past, and it prepares us for eternity. Uh, just so that we're all on the same page, Peter talks about this very sustaining grace in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, where he says, The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. And he goes on to saying that uh, he's written you, He's written this to God's people uh, briefly in order to encourage them and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Not just a grace that can save you, but a grace that can sustain you for every single thing that God would allow to come into your life. What good is a God that would snatch us out of this world, that would save our souls, but would leave us abandoned and helpless when we go to the hardest and most challenging seasons in our lives? Uh, if we are to know this God, we, will know, we are to know him not simply as a God who saves us, but also as a God who walks with us. God shows up in our lives in the places that seem like wastelands. God will allow things to happen in our lives. He'll, he'll allow things to get messy. He'll allow them to get ugly. Not only to do something through you, but to do something in you. Will you still cry out if God doesn't change that thing that you've been praying for, for months and years? Will you still seek after him when he feels distant and far away? Will you still worship him when it's hard to get out of the bed? And all you can see is the pain of where you find yourself with, and you can't even imagine what it would be like to get dressed this morning, let alone worship with the saints and lift your hands. David's testimony right here 
is so beautiful. He starts with God. And we may just hear that and we may just, that may roll off of our, our, our minds of, of we've been so familiarized with what Christianity says. Yeah, we talk about God all the time, but, but this one is special. Because when you find yourself in places where you feel too weak to do the things that you once could do, the mere ability to call out to God is a blessing from God. The mere ability to cry out to somebody uh, uh, who you may feel is far from you is a grace of God in our lives. I told our staff team a few months ago, I said, man, um, I find it hard to pray. Because every time I pray, I'm reminded of the pain. And it was over time that as I'm, as, I'm, as I'm being ministered to by brothers and sisters in this congregation, I realized that in the same way when Jesus told the disciples, will you leave me too? And they responded with, where else are we to go? That's the reality for those that follow Christ. That I can, I can stop talking to God for a moment. I can stop realizing that I need him for a little while. But I can't stop. With, I can't stop. Um, I, I can't stop seeking him because where else am I going to go? Who else? Who else can provide me with what I need to get through? David says God, but he doesn't even stop there. He goes to God. You are my God. I, I want us to realize that, brothers and sisters, if you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that regardless of where your sin has led you. Two, God's grace is sufficient enough to keep you where you find yourself. Uh, that word for God here is the word Elohim. David doesn't just have in mind this abstract thought about, oh, I need God, he's my personal God. No, David is calling upon a characteristic of God that he's grown and known to be true. He's saying, God, you're not just a God, you're my God. God, I've walked with you long enough to know that you're still with me right now. God, I've walked with you long enough. I've seen you heal. I've seen you uh, be with me in, in the battles. I've seen you hold me up and sustain me in the moments where I felt like I couldn't hold myself. God, I know you to be my God, and so right now I'm not going to doubt that. It's not only an affirmation or an acknowledgement of God being David's personal God. But it's also a declaration that, God, I'm not going to turn my back on you right now. Sometimes when we find ourselves in difficulty, we respond by turning our back to God as if he has done some harm to us. As if his intent has been to hurt us or to crush us. David is saying, God, you've been too good to me. You've been too faithful to me. And so I'm going to call upon you. Because you're the only one I can call upon. Though I'm isolated, you're still with me. Though I'm weak, I can call upon your commitment. Though my circumstances aren't satisfying my needs, I can look to you for satisfaction. As we see this text, one may say, this sounds like a man who's desperate. And as I think about desperation and as I was studying what that actually means, because a lot of us, we use that word flippantly. Man, I feel desperate right now. I feel, 
We've used that so casually, but that word desperation means actually to have a loss of hope. And as I read this text, I realized that David doesn't sound like a man who's lost hope. David doesn't sound like a person who's only surrendering to despair. No, he sounds like a man with resolve. He sounds like a man who has hope in a God, even if God doesn't allow the circumstances of his life to change. And brothers and sisters, what we need to realize is that though God will allow circumstances that are difficult to come into our lives, our circumstances don't have the last word. David is saying, no, 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 no. I I may not know what I did to arrive here. I may not know where I, I may not be where I used to be. I may not know how I'm even going to get out of this. And I may not know why God is allowing it to happen, but this one thing I do know. I do know who to run to in this moment. Brothers and sisters, we have someone we can run to for hope. We have someone that we can run to for hope. I remember pulling into the driveway of my parents' house and a neighbor across the street who had seen the ambulances come. He comes up to me and just asks me if my mom was okay. And we begin to talk, and one thing he says is like, man, well, I'm, uh, the thing that grieved me the most was that the thing that he left me with after sharing with him, she's, she's doing okay. Um, he said, well, fingers crossed, everything will be all right. And it was in that moment that I was both filled with grief upon the reality that in these types of situations, the only thing that you can hope to or run to is chance. The possibility of an outcome not knowing how it's actually going to be handled. But then I was filled and reminded with hope. I don't, I don't have to run to chance. <laughs> I know the God who's sovereign over my mom's life from beginning to end. I know the God who's the healer who could in an instant remove all of this away. But I also know the God who's the keeper of her soul. That if she were to take her away, I know where she will be. What great hope do we have to be able to run to the king of kings, the one who holds all things in his hand, the one who, who from the beginning to end will stand and who is the deserving of our worship. David says, no, I know this God. I know my God. I don't have to know all the details, but I know he's up to something. It's for my good. Uh, Sandra brought this up during our staff time, and she said, uh, as she thinks about fasting often, she's like, a lot of times what, what's, dis- what's being discovered is that during fasting, um, that over time, your body, once it's been, um, once food um, has been with- withheld, your body begins to not look for external things to satisfy, but it starts to look for things inside. It begins to start to feast on your excess, um, excess weight. It begins to dispel and remove excess toxins. It begins to, in a moment of you depriving yourself of what it had been used to, your body actually begins to heal itself. And I, she said, wildernesses are kind of like that. Wildernesses are places where God strips us of all of the things that we've grown utterly dependent upon. All of the things that we've used to be crutches in our spiritual walk with Christ, all of the distractions, only to bring us to a place where ultimately God can heal us. If the body 
that is made by God is designed in that way to heal itself under those conditions, how much more can we trust God to do the same thing through the, thing, the actual seasons or difficulties or challenges in our life? God gives, brothers and sisters, grace to sustain us in our darkest moments. But he doesn't just stop there. Second point is this. Sustaining grace doesn't mean immediate relief, but it does mean enduring belief. I'm I'm glad glad that David doesn't just tell us what God provides us, but he tells us how God provides it for us. He goes on to say, so I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory, and my lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. So when I think of you as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches because you are my helper. And I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I will follow close to you for your right hand holds on to me. Uh, We have to remind ourselves that um, God's ability to fix our problems isn't the only evidences of his grace. In fact, God causing you to respond towards him in faith and need regardless of where you find yourself is actually a truer sign of him being at work in your life. Uh, Let me give a a visual of this that came to mind during worship. Uh, There was a movie back in the day called Twister. And in this movie, the last scene, uh, this movie was really about people who chase after tornadoes, which is a crazy occupation. However, these people, this, this one guy, he's with his um, child at the time, and this is Category 5, I think that's what you call him, Category 5 tornado, and they have no opportunity to actually escape their circumstances coming right for them. So there's this scene where he's running to the barn with his, with his son, and the tornado's coming directly for them, and all that they have to cling on is this metal, maybe a water spout, whatever it was, that goes deep into the ground. And so they get this belt buckle of sorts, and they wrap it around them, round them, and they tie it up to this metal rod. And as the tornado is coming their way, and you start to see the building break apart, you start to see all of these things transpiring. The only thing holding them together is that metal thing going deep into the ground. And there's this moment where they're in the eye of the tornado, where everything around them is chaotic. And they're looking up in the middle of the eye, and all they can see is clear skies. That visual is what David's saying right here. He's saying, so I gaze upon you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. David is saying that I've learned a few things, y'all. I've learned that uh, uh, in the span of biblical history, that what God actually does in his people is not permit or, or alleviate or remove or not allow hard things to come their way, but he sustains them in the middle of it. Uh, let me break that down to y'all a little bit. Uh, Noah wasn't spared from the floods. He was spared in the floods with an ark. 
uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't spared from the fire. They were spared in the fire. Uh, Job wasn't spared from immense grief and pain and loss. He was spared in the midst of all of those things. David wasn't even spared from the lion's den. He was spared in the lion's den. Let me take this to the New Testament. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light afflictions are nothing to be compared with the eternal, absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we aren't focusing on what we can see. We're focusing on the things that we can't see. Uh, How many of y'all understand that God has given you a revelation of who he is to sustain you in the moments where you can't see clearly? I wish I had a few witnesses in here this morning who can testify of the unspeakable, undeniable peace and comfort of God in moments that should have, that should have taken your life. There's, there is a peace of God that goes beyond our understanding, right? And we may not have, some of us, we may not have learned that yet because we haven't been put in the right situation. We haven't had to depend on God to sustain us with his peace when my mind feels like it's about to break. I I, I wish right here we would hear the testimony of our brother, the testimony of our brother that said, man, I'm able to see beyond my circumstances. I'm able to lift up my head because God has provided me with a picture far greater than what I see in this level, in this realm. God gives greater grace. Let us not be removed to focus on the reality that David just said in a dry and desolate place, that it was in that place that I found no consolation from the world, nothing for it to offer me that compared to you, that I found that you truly are all that I need. Our brother Chuck Spurgeon says this. He says, nothing teaches us about the preciousness of the creator as much as when we learn the emptiness of everything else. What a profound reality. That the way that David is experiencing God's blessing for his life is not in his occupational achievements. That the way that David is experiencing God's blessing in his life is not in his vocational success. That the way that God is experiencing God's blessing is not in his financial prospering, but that the way that God is experiencing, that David is experiencing God's blessing is in the reality that God is blessing him in a barren land. That God is blessing him to get him to a place where God is truly all that I have and God is all that I need. Wouldn't that, brother and sister, make it all worth it? Would that, would it going through all of that make it all worth it? That you could sit here with integrity and sing songs of saying, God, you're all I need. God, you're all I want. God, there's nothing greater than you. And if we're honest, that's sometimes we even read psalms like this and we approach it with a level of skepticism. 
We approach it with a level of suspicion of, man, that's great. But that seems rather ethereal. That seems rather idealistic. I don't, I don't, I don't think that that's actually possible. And if you find yourself in that place, could it be that God is allowing you to recognize that that's actually where you are in order for you to cry out and ask him to do that in your life? Sometimes God is just waiting for us to ask. And sometimes the, the reality of life and its hardship is, is that, that difficulty often um, leads us to shut up. It, it closes our mouth up into what Pastor James said. It's, it makes it hard to actually pray with faith. Pray with faith that if God is showing us something that he's provided for David, why wouldn't he want that for you? Why wouldn't he be capable of providing you with the exact same thing. A true relief will not be found only in a change of circumstance, but it can be found in a change of heart. In God changing our hearts, he says that grace has been provided with, well, provided me with help to endure. Um, five things that I'm going to draw from this text that I think would be a help for us. These are things that David uh, alludes to um, that I think David over time has learned about God. The first one is this, um, and I mentioned it before, he's learned how to set his eyes on God. He's learned that in difficulty, it's important for me to look not at my circumstances, but to look up at God's character. What about God's character specifically speaks to and ministers to you to be your help in your time of need? He says, I've learned how to sing through my journey. Um, when I was in the world, I was a 90s R&B head. I still enjoy 90s R&B, but I remember um, during times of heartbreak, I would go to songs like Down on Bended Knee. <laughs> songs like You Got It, You Got It Bad. <clears throat> songs like Cry Me a River. But though those things put words to my pain, they didn't offer me much hope. When I became a believer, I realized that those things couldn't ultimately satisfy me. They may allow me to share in an experience, but they don't take me anywhere that I need to be. But when I became a believer, I learned songs like, no weapon formed against me shall ever prosper. <laughs> I, I, I learned that uh, songs like, uh, he will stand by his word. He will come through. Uh, songs like, I will trust in the Lord. I will trust in the Lord. I will, and I can't sing, but you know that I trust in the Lord. Till I die. Till I die. Uh, a few of y'all grew up in church, I see. Um, when my countenance is low, when my soul is weary, 
it is through singing the truth about God that can become nourishment to my soul. It is the reminders of um, I can't, feelings or emotions are meant to be acknowledged, but they're not meant to be followed. God doesn't, if you, if you just read the scripture, God doesn't say that we can't bring our full selves to him. God doesn't say that he's trying to ignore or dismiss our emotions as if they're not real. God is just saying that, yeah, you can be where you are at right now, but my intent for you is not to stay there. My intent is for you not to be led by your feelings, but to be led by my word. And I want to talk about shame. I think sometimes it's hard for us to come here and to worship because we've been, we've been bombarded by the lies of the enemy and the accusations of the enemy and the difficulty of life that would lead us to believe that worship, uh, that in order to worship God, we need to feel worthy. That in order to lift our hands to God and sing praises to him, that we have to have a sense of worthiness based on our own actions. Brothers and sisters, that's not the gospel. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We don't worship because we're worthy. We worship because God's worthy. If we believe that the gospel of Christ, that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, that his blood is sufficient enough to forgive all of my sins and to make me white as snow, then if I came in here limping, if I came in here with the stains of my past sins and mistakes, that that doesn't mean that I can't have my eyes lifted up upon the God and worship him because he's still good despite my failures. It's not about us. And we've got to be able to recognize the accusations from our enemies. Sometimes that's people. Sometimes that's through people who know a little bit too much about us and are just waiting to say, why, why, why are you here? Wait a minute. God saved you? I know how you are, and to which we say, you're right, God saved me. And the reality is, is that, that I'm learning to receive the grace of God in my life that realizes that, um, yeah, things are hard right now, but he's able to, he's so good that I got to learn how to sing through my circumstances. I've got to learn not to rely on a feeling, but I've got to learn to rely on God just being too good to me. Because the reality is that even if you find yourself in here and you feel like I can't lift my hands and I can't sing those songs, the beauty of the church is that God gives us other people that can intercede for you on your behalf. That God gives other people. I loved how Pastor James led us in worship night to say, don't just worship by yourself, go worship with somebody. And it's amazing that when another brother and sister finds themselves coming alongside you, when another brother or sister stands in the gap for you, how those feelings of feeling inadequate, feeling the guilt and shame of sin, feeling all of those things, they, that, that, that tangible sign of love begins to remind you of your, that God has fully loved you and fully saved you and fully accepts you, and there's nothing that you can do to change that. He says that I've not only learned how to sing through my suffering, but I've learned to master my body and not let it master me. Uh, 
Pastor Mo said this. He said, there's something about lifting your hands in worship that tells your mind about what's the most important thing right now. Even when you don't feel like it. There's something about posturing your body in a way that communicates, God, I surrender. God, I love you. God, you're worthy. God, I need you. That begins to bubble up within you belief in what your body is expressing. David is saying, no, I'm, I'm, I've not only set my gaze on you, I've, my lips will glorify you, he says, and I will bless you. Um, I will bless you as long as I live, but I also will lift up my hands. And what he finds in doing so is that God is not just able to help him worship through his pain. He's not just able to, to, um, um, to use our bodies as a response to worship and praise to him, but he, he says here that I've also learned to fill my mind with thoughts about God. I think meditation, maybe for some of us, is probably the hardest thing to do because we, we're, we're, we are immersed in a culture that's like, man, hurry, 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 hurry. And so to stop for a moment and not try to read 10 chapters in the book, not try to speed through a book on double time speed on Audible, to just take a verse and to chew on it and just to think about it for days and weeks and months, that seems like a waste of time. David is saying, no, 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 no. When I meditate on you during the night watches, when I think about you and not my problems, God, you do something for me. You do something for me because you're my helper. He's saying that actually this is where I find my help when what I've read becomes pressed into my heart and mind to where it's no longer just knowledge of God, but it's me knowing God personally. I'm running out of time. Let me keep, keep going. He says in verse 7, I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I've learned to trust that you are my protector. And in verse 8, he says, I will follow close to you, for you are, your right hand holds on to me. David has learned the beauty of worshiping God with our whole selves, mind, body, and soul. He has learned that in my suffering, God will satisfy me. God can sustain me. That I don't have to look like what I've been through. That there's hope on the horizon, but our hope is in a person. Uh, we can read this and we can look at David as if he is our um, example. As if he is the one that we should look upon only. But David is not testifying in this way to draw attention to himself. David is testifying in this way to point us to someone greater to point us down the road that there is a better king than David, that there is a greater priest who understands all of our human weakness and responds to it with patience and empathy. There is, a, there is someone down the road who will ultimately has been in the wilderness, has been deprived of all comforts that this world can offer and yet remained faithful. There is someone to look towards that... Uh, who, who knows what it's like to pray, God, if there be any other way, will you let this cup pass from me? 
There is someone that we can look to who has ventured down the road where God did not spare Jesus from the cross, but he sustained him while the cross held him. This person is Jesus, the one that has traversed the uncharted territory and shown us that God is just as faithful in the wilderness as he is on the mountaintop. That this Jesus was the one who, on that cross, when it was all finished, when when he suffered and endured until the point in which God's purpose and plan for him was completely finished, and he breathed his last breath, to those on the outside looking at Jesus, they would say, there's no hope. This is lifeless. All that he said, gone. But it was in that lifeless state that three days later, God demonstrates his power in entering into what looked like a lifeless situation. He brings about life. That the resurrection is the testament to you and I that God that God brings life into places that seem lifeless. And if Jesus can do that, if God's power is big enough to do something that grand, how much much more can we trust him to fix that marriage that feels broken? How much more can we trust him to fix that relationship with, your ch- with a child that's gone astray? How much greater is he to reconcile broken relationships and friendships within the church? How much greater is he able to sustain you when you feel as though God has abandoned you altogether? God displays that very power so that we can see that when Jesus felt abandoned by God, He did so so that you and I would never have to. He did so that we could experience the closeness and fellowship of God, not by feelings alone, but by faith. My offer to you, brothers and sisters, those who know him, is to say, will you trust him today? Will you call upon him today? Will you for those who may not know him, would say, man, I've been standing on the, I've been standing, standing on, on far back saying, man, I don't know about this God. I, I've heard a little bit about Jesus, but I don't, want, I don't know. I'm skeptical. The only thing that God says that we have to do to receive him is to confess our sins and acknowledge our trust that he is who he said he is. That he is the son of God, that he did die for your sins, that he is inviting you to receive grace and mercy. And all you have to do is accept the gift. You can do that today. So as we close, we're going to provide space in the service today um, for prayer. Space for those who feel burdened and heavy and just in need to um, maybe doing a little wrestling with God today. 
Maybe he's been pulling on you and leading you and asking you to give this to me, hand this over. I, I can handle it. You don't have to hold this any longer. We want to provide some space for you to, um, to wrestle, to sit, to allow God to deal with you. But also, we want to provide space for if you are in need of prayer, um, you don't have to fight the battle by yourself. That there are people here who love you and are willing to come alongside you to pray with you and pray for you um, and to maybe stand in the gap of where your trust, um, your trust in God seems a little fragile. Um, we're going to um, do that following our time of communion where Pastor James will lead us um, and then we'll continue in worship. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the ways that you have shown yourself to be able to uh, bring life into lifeless situations. Father, we thank you for the grace that you provide to not simply anchor down and hold out until the storms pass away, until the wilderness, um, the, the wildernesses um, move along, but Father, uh, that you've given us grace to sustain us in the midst of them. Father, it may be hard to even, even fathom that as being a possibility for some of us, but I pray that, uh, Father, we would take our doubts and we would bring them to you, that we would admit and feel and find the relief, not in a change of circumstances, but in the change that you're designed to do in our own hearts. Father, help our unbelief. And Father, would we as a people be emboldened even to be able to share all of the amazing ways in which you have provided this for us. That it wouldn't just be upon the testimony of David, but we would hear the testimonies of those who are friends, those who've been through it as well, um, to say that, no, if he could do it for me, he could do it for you. Lord, we need you in far greater ways than we're even willing to admit at times. And so I pray that you would bring us to a place where we're willing to admit our great need for you. That ultimately there's nothing that comes our way. There's nothing that we can actually do in and of our own strength, Lord. Even when we think we're doing it in our own strength, you've actually provided the strength for us to do it. And God, we're grateful that we can see grace at work in us. Would you move us to be able to apply that, to put the effort in, to pursue you even when our feelings tell us to do something else? Move in this place this day. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.